You are listening to the Treasury Career Corner podcast, brought to you by the Treasury Recruitment Company, the only global specialist treasury recruitment company in the world. In today's show, you're going to hear from Joel Campbell, the Head of Treasury and Chief Risk Officer at H&R Block from Kansas City, Missouri. It was a great conversation between Joel and I, and you'll get to hear about why, as a treasurer, he believes you need to take calculated risks in order to improve your career and your career prospects. Listen out for the part where Joel explains why he felt having a 90-day plan was a key part of his success in his current role, and how taking his time has really paid dividends. He felt by making gradual changes rather than rushing to decisions, it has benefited both the company and in turn the treasury team. Before we get into today's show, I also wanted to let you know there's a short company show to this week's podcast, as we have some exciting plans for 2019. And we wanted to tell you more, but I didn't want to fill up this entire week's podcast with all the details. The accompanying show is called the Treasury Career Corner Live. If you look out for it on iTunes, I hope you enjoy it. So welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. This week's show, delighted to be joined by Joel Campbell, Vice President, Treasury and Chief Risk Officer at H&R Block. Now, for those listeners that are perhaps in UK, Europe, you perhaps might not have heard of H&R Block. And until we'd done some recruitment for H&R last year, we we really didn't know them, or I didn't, certainly. But H&R Block are a global consumer tax services provider. So they provide tax returns through retail locations, online, and things like that for over 720 million tax returns are prepared. But I'll get Joel to explain that a little bit more. But Joel started his career many, many years ago, studying an MBA in finance from Minnesota, and then progressed through Western Union and travelers companies and a really great variety, as I said before the show. So Joel, I'm not sure I've spoken to someone who's made so many really good progressions within treasury career, a variety of different industries as well. So as always, enough from me. Let's let's get into the show. Joel, give us a start, if you would, how you got into first finance, audit, and then you discovered treasury. Sure. Well, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on today. And uh, yeah, just a little bit about my career. I knew from a very early age before I entered university that I wanted to be an accountant. Uh, My brother had been an accountant. I decided early on that's the direction I wanted to go with my career. So I got a, a pursued a bachelor's degree in accounting. And as most accounting students do in the U.S., I I tried to get into one of the large uh, firms at that time. I worked for Arthur Anderson for three years, completed my CPA exam and got my CPA designation. And then from there, kind of went down the path to to do my apprenticeship and, and be licensed. So I knew I wanted to be an accountant. I think for me, after five or six years of being an accountant and doing auditing and taxes and so on, I really decided I wanted to move more into corporate finance. And so at that point, I pursued my master's degree, my MBA, uh, with an emphasis in finance at the University of Minnesota. And at that point in time, I kind of segued into a corporate treasury function as cash manager for the Travelers Companies, an insurance, property casualty insurance company. Mm-hmm. And I've never looked back since. Um, I fell in love with treasury 22 years ago, and I progressively moved around to different companies and, and different roles within treasury. But I fell in love with treasury and haven't left it. And uh, I've had, fortunately, a you know, very rewarding and kind of challenging and fulfilling career since that time. 
Uh, so travellers, explain to us, you know, some of those, uh, the listeners are more junior candidates. How did you discover Treasury at that stage? What was Treasury like when you first started in it? Yeah, I discovered Treasury actually kind of by happenstance. I had uh, migrated from internal audit into mergers and acquisitions. I spent a couple of years in M&A. And from that, one of my internal clients uh, just happened to be the new assistant treasurer of the company. And he and I got on quite well. And uh, when an opportunity opened up to move into a cash manager position, I was his first internal candidate. And quite frankly, I had no idea what cash management was about. Didn't understand it, didn't even really know what treasury was, but I knew I could do the job for my kind of core finance skills and financial analysis skills. So he hired me and he taught me everything I needed to know about treasury in about a year and a half on the cash management side. And again, I fell in love with it to a point where I knew once I migrated into that role, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And at that point in time, Treasury really was Excel spreadsheets and uh, was dial-up terminal emulation into our banking partners to release wire transfers and to check our balances and so on. It was really, at that point in the late 1990s, still relatively rudimentary. It was before the advent of Treasury workstations, before banks had you know, the websites where you could log into and do your you know, wire transfers and see your balances and so on. So it was really, again, rudimentary. Uh, but I've really seen it from that point in time to you know 2019. I really see Treasury morph and change and grow, and it's just been a really exciting and rewarding career. Yeah. And you, but you made some with Travelers Group. You did an international move and then came back to the U.S. before you then moved on. What was that like that early on in your career, and you know, learning about Treasury maybe more internationally as well. Yeah, yeah. I had been in Treasury for about a year um, at Travelers. And again, Travelers Property and Casualty Insurance Company. Uh-huh. They have an international headquarters in London. And I had never had the idea in my head that I would get a chance to move to London. But a new treasurer came along, saw my skill set and what I could do, and was looking for someone to move to London to take over and make the London Treasury Center look and feel like the Treasury Center we had built in the U.S. Okay. Um, So he gave me an opportunity to move over there. And quite frankly, it was one of the most rewarding career decisions that I had ever made in my life. Personally and professionally, it stretched me. My family gave us a chance to see, at least from a professional perspective, gave me a chance to see uh, markets from a completely different perspective. You know, I say this a little bit, you know, tongue in cheek, but in the United States, we become so United States centric in the way we think about things. Uh that it's so freeing to move to a different market than the London financial market and be in a different part of the world where the U.S. isn't the center of everything. And to really learn more about foreign exchange, learn and understand about how financial markets work on the international scale, understand you know, debt instruments, equity instruments across other jurisdictions. And for me, that role also was very fulfilling because I was able to spend a lot of time traveling and visiting travelers, international business operations in South America, in Asia, Australia, um, and various other parts of Europe. And it really gave me a, a better sense for the international side of business that I had never had much exposure to. And then you made the move to a merry prize. Is that right? How do you, you know, describe that business? <clears throat> yeah. So after you know, spending almost 12 years at Travelers, I was recruited to work for Ameriprise Financial. At that time, they were spinning off of American Express, uh-huh. their financial planning business. 
and I was recruited to come over and develop and create a public company treasury function, particularly treasury operations. Their treasury operations function had been uh, five or six people as a subsidiary of the larger American Express Corporation in New York. So I was recruited to come over, find staff, build staff, go across and out into the company to understand what functions other people were doing that were treasury or treasury related and to centralize them and bring them into a treasury function in Minneapolis. Again, a very rewarding experience, a chance to learn a new business. It's somewhat insurance related, it's financial services, but to learn a new business and to take my treasury skills that had kind of grown and built in one place, migrate them to another place and prove that treasury skills can really cross over industries, can cross over different companies. The disciplines you put in place, the things that you do and, and the methodologies you put in place are very similar across different industries. And so it gave me a chance to do that, to build a staff. I started with myself and six or seven people. And by the time I left, almost five years later, we had two assistant treasurer level people and about 30 staff. Right. Um, so we had really gone out into the organization and built a proper function. And uh, it still stands today. Uh, and I'm, I'm really proud of, of those you know, five years that I spent there. And you, before that, you were the assistant treasurer of Travelers. So that role, when you went into Ameriprise, you were the sort of, that was your first leadership role per se. You know, you've been a leader, assistant treasurer, but that was, that was your shop, as it were. So what was your ethos and what's your ethos around being a leader and certainly in those early days? Yeah, I think in the early days, um, you know, when you first become a leader, I think um, there's a lot of talk about what leadership is. Yeah. And you have in your head, you know, what you think a good leader is. But when you're put in the place where you're leading a team and a broad team with many functionalities, the thing that you learn quickly is that you don't have all the answers and you have to hire good people. You have to push them to excel and grow and develop, but you can't hold on to them too tightly. You need to let them be professionals and do their jobs. I think that's the thing I learned. I hired some really good people. A couple of them are actually still there, but I was able to turn them loose, give them direction and let them go out and figure out what needed to be done and let them shine. And stepping back from being down in the weeds and managing or micromanaging, if you will, the day to day, to stepping back and, and becoming more of the person who directs broadly what is the strategy for what we're trying to accomplish, kind of handed down to me from senior management, but then down to my team. What are we trying to accomplish? What's the big picture? Here's what I need you to go out and do and let you and your team go out and figure out how to do that. That was probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned that's carried over even into my, my current role today is to not get in people's way, but to hire good people and let them do what they do best. And then you carried that on with the move to Western Union, assistant treasurer there. What you describe what, you know, I think some people have got ideas about Western Union. It's a money transfer business and everything else, but it's more than that. But also, you know, how was, what was your role like there? Yeah, for me, the, the move to Western Union was, was an interesting one. I really spent about 14 years running treasury operations functions. And I think the thing that I, I knew that I needed in terms of discipline and skill set or adding to my own balance sheet was the ability to understand and manage and run capital structure, capital structure strategy, if you will. Yeah. So the opportunity to, for me to migrate from Ameriprise to Western Union was just that, to work under a very strong treasurer who had done capital structure strategy at many different companies before he got to Western Union. 
And he really took me under his wing and mentored me, coached me, helped me learn how to think about capital structure, how to, how, you know, I spent probably 70% of my time uh, with my team doing financial analysis. Really, we were working on um, thinking about a levered recap, trying to understand the capitalization of the company that would survive and support the company for the longer term in that business. But it really gave me a chance to migrate out of day-to-day treasury operations, move into capital structure strategy. And then I was able to, while I was there, I picked up some responsibility for insurance and risk management, which is something with an insurance background that was a very natural fit for me. But I was able to kind of bolt on some additional things. So we, got, we had a, a pension, so I was able to get involved in pension investments. I became part of the investment committee. Some of those things that I was able to bolt on and add to what I already had done in Treasury to really expand my horizons further. And really, it was fertile training ground for me to, to be a natural step into a Treasury role at some point in my career. So on the show, I've interviewed the Treasurer of Schroders globally, uh, Nick Taylor of Greg Coe's of Anquist Bank and things like that. One of the key things they both highlighted to me was you know, the regulatory environment, how it's shifted, you know, over the past 10 to 15 years, and they've been seeing that from the front end. Did you find that quite a, a burden to you? Or was it a natural thing? Or, you know, what, what were you like? Or how did you handle regulation as a treasurer? Yeah, well, particularly, I'll, I'll step into my Western Union role um, as a money service transfer company, heavily regulated. Um, when I started with the company, our compliance arm, our compliance team was you know, relatively small with a relatively small budget. Today, there are probably six to 700 people globally that support their compliance function, and they spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year on compliance. Um, so I got indoctrinated very quickly into what it's like to work for a money transfer company and not only the regulations in the United States, but with over 70% of their revenues being generated outside of the United States, um, all the different jurisdictions in Europe and Asia and so on that govern money transfer. So for a treasury person with not a lot of experience in regulation other than insurance regulation, it really gave me insight into how to position a treasury function in that environment. And particularly uh, for Western Union, so much of their business is reliant on the banking networks around the world. We partnered with 240 banks around the world. So going out and visiting those banks in person, in country, spending time with them to understand their issues, or how Western Union could position itself against that and making sure we had good compliance and complying with all the local laws and regulations is extremely important. So I'm not an expert in regulation, but I understand it far better now in a treasurer role than I probably ever did before I joined Western Union. And then you made the move and location. I noticed that was one of the other things I was going to mention that you were actually geographically mobile. You you packed up your stuff and moved around a few different places. So you then got the role at H and R Block. Took the, wow. So how did that come about? Yeah, H and R Block was a very interesting one. I actually got a phone call from a recruiter while I was on a business trip in Asia with Western Union suggesting that this might be a role I was interested in. At that point, I had moved my family from 17 years in Minneapolis to uh, Colorado, and I didn't really want to uproot them again, but it was an opportunity that was compelling over the course of time uh, to come to H&R Block, both for the folks I was working with, as well as the opportunity to get the treasurer title and, and be able to kind of really, truly run my own team, my own shop and take on that role, particularly reporting out to the board and having board interaction. So 
the basement our block roll came along. I, I joked that I spent about five months and did almost 26 interviews for this role. Wow. Um, <laughs> multiple board members in, in multiple cities, as well as multiple times coming to Kansas City, uh, where I currently reside with my family to, to see whether or not this would be a good move for us. And I, I will say unequivocally, it's been a fantastic move. You know, one of the things you point out, Mike, is that I've taken some risks, mm. some calculated risks, I like to say, in my career. But I've taken some calculated risks knowing um, that a, a chance to move up either in title or move up in responsibility or bolt on other responsibilities into a treasurer role um, would be a good career enhancement for me. So I was able to convince my wife and my family that this would be a good move. It's been a fantastic move for us. Uh, this is a great company with a great reputation, particularly in this town in Kansas City. Mm. And uh, it's been a really rewarding opportunity for us. So, Joel, as I said to you earlier, there is no real H&R block equivalent that exists within the UK and Europe. So perhaps you can explain for some of our listeners what the group does and, and maybe how that then filters into finance and then down into treasury as well. Sure. H&R Block is a global consumer tax services tax prep company. Mm-hmm. We provide tax preparation through professional tax preparers in about 12,000 company-owned and franchise retail tax offices worldwide. And in fiscal 2018, we had revenue of about $3.1 billion and prepared 23 million tax returns worldwide. So we have two different models. We have an assisted tax prep model where you come in and sit down in one of our company-owned or franchise-owned offices across the desk from a tax preparer with all of your bits and pieces of information to get your taxes completed. We also have a DIY or a do-it-yourself model where we offer both uh, mobile as well as desktop software where you can go in, take all of your information, sit down at your kitchen table on an evening or a weekend and put all of your information and complete your own taxes. We also have recently developed a virtual model, so a model kind of between assisted and DIY where you can provide all your information through a a secure upload into our system and a tax preparer can prepare your return for you. Or you can go into the DIY mode and then have a tax preparer come in and look at your tax return, what you've completed in and confirmed that what you've done is correct. So again, anywhere, any way, anytime you want to complete your taxes, we have a model that, that does that for you. Uh, we compete in this space uh, with other DIY providers, with other branded and independent assisted providers. But again, we're the largest branded assisted preparer in the United States. We got a great business, a little over $3 billion in top line revenue and a very healthy uh, level of margin and bottom line earnings. And it's a great company that's been around now for over 60 years in the United States. And when you came into the role, um, you'd said that was quite a long period of you considering it and stepping in. What was the sort of setup of Treasury? And I know it's five and a half years ago now, but you walked in. How did you then, you know, tackle some of the issues day one through to the sort of maybe day 100? You know, I spoke recently to Chris Emsley. He's the treasurer out at General Mills in Singapore, and he was taking it virtually from startup, you know, General Mazzano startup, but a lot of the stuff they were establishing was was brand new. Now, it sounded like you took over sort of quite a well-established treasury. How did you approach it? Yeah, you know, I was, I was from the CFO at the time, I was really given an opportunity to take 90 days, um, which is unusual at a treasurer level, but 90 days to kind of step in and get a lay of the land. 
no pressure in terms of work output or projects I had to get done right away. So he really freed me up to get to know my staff, to get to know my peers and colleagues across the company, as well as understand Treasury's interaction with the business at a relatively granular level. So I spent three months just immersing myself in everything that we did in, in our Treasury function took a lot of notes on what I liked and what I didn't like and things that might change in the future. And then spent a lot of time out in the business getting to know people and understanding how treasury impacted them. The one thing I will say that is I I was very fortunate to step into a treasury team that was already very experienced and relatively senior. I had an assistant treasurer who's now retired, but an assistant treasurer who had been with the company at that point, 13 or 14 years knew the company well. He had actually stepped into the the treasurer role on an interim basis, stepped back for me when I was hired as treasurer and really supported me 100% for uh, five years as I grew into the role. So I was very fortunate to step into a seasoned team. Um, The one thing I will say, though, is that uh, there were many things that I wanted to change, uh, and I took my time. I think that's probably one of the things that I did the best is I stepped back, saw things I wanted to change and and moves I wanted to make, but I didn't make a lot of those changes until probably eight months to 12 months into the role because I wanted to make sure I did it methodically and that I was thoughtful and that it benefited the organization for the long term. We implemented a treasury workstation and replaced an old, outdated treasury workstation. We rationalized our bank group and shrunk our committed line of credit facility from 17 banks to 13 banks. So we took some of those natural steps that a treasurer would take. But again, I stepped back, took my time, and was thoughtful through that process. And I think almost six years later, it's kind of stood the test of time in some of the things we did in those first early days. And what was your what was your driver behind that? You had that time to sort of settle into the role, brilliant. But then was it gaining a handle on the risk or what was the sort of development model for you guys? Where were you, you then, as you talked about, you brought in a system, you brought that, was it clarity of cash or was it risk? Was it all of the above or what were you aiming Yeah, at first it was true, just treasurer functionality. When I think about just blocking and tackling, you know, I'm a, I'm a former athlete and so I kind of step back and look at the basics. You got to get the fundamentals right first. So we got the fundamentals right of what we did, um, how we managed cash. This is an extremely seasonal business, the most seasonal business in the S&P 500. So we spent a lot of time for me learning the seasonality of when we borrowed and when we had excess cash and how we invested it, who we borrowed from and so on. So I spent a lot of time on that. Again, I spent a lot of time analyzing and thinking about our banking partners, who we banked with, why we banked with them, rationalizing that bank group. And then the last step um, that really over the past couple of years we've spent a lot of time on is the treasury operations type functions out in the field. Uh So it's 6,000 company owned stores and a business that still actually collects cash in its stores from our customers. There's a lot of processes around how we collect that cash, how we account for it, how we reconcile it, how quickly can we get it into a bank to get it deposited so that we can use that cash. So over the past three years, we put in a new deposit transit service uh, where we go out and collect that cash, put it through a system, get it to uh, one of our banking partners in their bank vault, and get it deposited as quickly as possible. So we spent a lot of time over the past few years out in the business, making sure that the treasury-like functions out of the business are working the way they should in the most efficient way. You also took on risk as well, coming on three years ago now. You know, explain how that came about. 
you know, kind of one of those fortunate situations with the timing of um, some people retiring and some opportunities getting moved around. I was asked to take on our enterprise risk management function and at that point became chief risk officer uh, and really had some exposure to enterprise risk management just from being part of the enterprise risk committee. I'm having in you know previous lives also being part of enterprise risk committees and understanding how to think about it, but now owning it, taking a completely different perspective. We took some time, so I have a director who supports me in that role. We took our time and looked at what we were doing for ERM across the organization. We decided to completely kind of revise and restructure a very outdated program, uh, looking at risk analysis. Also, we looked at a, a, our, and re-engineered our risk scoring model. And we really spent a lot of time in the organization trying to drive accountability with risk owners themselves. The previous uh, chief risk officer kind of had the view that he did most of that for himself. He kind of, you know, did most of the accountability and then pushed people to give him information that he reported out on. And we completely changed that paradigm to bring risk owners in front of the audit committee, risk owners in front of the board of directors to present their risks and be able to speak intelligently to board members about how they mitigate risk and how they think about it. While we're the organizers and we're the coordinators and we have the big overarching view across the organization, we brought risk owners along with us and made them accountable. And it's been a really rich, rewarding experience. I think we've driven the risk management responsibility and the understanding of um, risk mitigation much deeper into the organization over the past three years, getting people to understand COSO guidance and understanding business continuity and disaster recovery and how those all play in together with risks and the way we manage it. Uh, it's been really well received internally as well. Uh, it's been a really, a really interesting process. And with yourself, where, where are you guys going next? Where is it the development you see? It? You know, everyone talks about treasury in the future and everything else. Where, you know, obviously those are coming together within your role, but where are you seeing the development for you guys? You know, I see in treasury, and, and I've seen this for a while, and I think there are a handful of organizations that have a chief treasury officer. And I think at some point in the future, you're going to see more of those come along. And it's really kind of this convergence of uh, integrated risk management along with corporate treasury, traditional treasury functions, along with insurance and risk management type ideas. I think anywhere where there is risk and anywhere where there is opportunity for the treasury function that participates in part of that risk to come together, I think you're going to see that converge in more of a chief treasury officer type role. In addition, I think what we're seeing a lot in our business and what we're spending time on is looking at enhanced automation. How do we deploy robotics into traditional finance functions to automate routine tasks through bots that sit in your general ledger or that sit in you know certain elements of your system? I, I think you're going to see more of that come along as the technology is proven. There's some of those things that are already out there. We've deployed a few in our business already, but I think you're going to continue to see more and more automation of routine tasks to free staff and management up to think about more strategic tasks beyond the tactical, but much more strategic. And where is the business heading? How should we position ourselves? And how do we get ahead of that to support the business when it gets there where we think it's going to go? And you've obviously spoken to a number of different treasurers and you see that, you know, maybe the, I was just going to explore, we talked there at the head of the show there about Greg, who's in Bankers Bank, and you've got Nick with, you know, their cash rich and all that stuff. But how would you contrast the demands on you as a treasurer when you're in a financial services 
business focus versus someone who's perhaps more in a product-based business where they've got commodities, they've got all the other things, you know, General Mills are all about foods and different Cheerios and all that stuff. How, how for you, is it different, would you say? The, the way I would think about it is that there are just different types of risks you have to manage. In a manufacturing or you know, food manufacturing or production environment, you have product risks, you have manufacturing issues, property, plant, and equipment type things that you need to think about. In financial services, it's it's much different profile. We, we still think about risk, but our profile is much more focused on the structure of our products and what do they mean for consumers and how will that be received by governing bodies who want to make sure that consumers are not being fleeced and they're not being taken advantage of. So I think when we think about risks in our business, whether it's the regulatory environment, whether it's our systems and making sure we're keeping our data secure, whether it's our products and services that they're supporting the right needs and that, that we're doing it in a compliant way, all of those things in financial services have counterparts in manufacturing or in food service or whatever it might be. They just look and feel a little bit different. And so I think the role of the treasurer ultimately is an expanding role. I think that's one of the things I've seen in my career is not only has have I been able to progress across treasury, but I think the role of what I do in treasury and the treasurer role broadly over the past 20 years has dramatically changed from just being a tactical transaction-based role to now being much more of a strategic partner, maybe not in the broad strategy of the company, but strategic partner across the business and helping the business understand how we can support them both transactionally and strategically to set them up to be successful over the long term. So I've seen that change in my own personal career, but I continue to see that um, that expanded role of the treasurer over the course of the next you know 15 or 20 years as well. So, on an interpersonal level, you mentioned earlier that you you came from a sports background and you got some sort of good leadership from there. But if you were teaching those listening, in particular if they're doing maybe their first leadership role, what do you think they need to focus on? What's the framework? You know, maybe it's drawing for sports. I'm do sports lots myself. But what do you think they need to think about? Something. I spent a fair amount of time over the past couple of years thinking about leadership and the challenge of leadership. And I ran across uh, an amazing quote probably about six months ago that I've kind of haven't shared with a lot of people, but I've just kind of been you know stewing on it myself. And it's by Jim Rohn, you know, one of the first motivational speakers or business philosophers in the United States from several years ago. But I'll quote it because I think it's it's been really powerful for me as a professional. But as I think about challenging younger leaders to learn how to, to lead and to be better leaders, um, but I would put it this way. He calls it the challenge of leadership. The challenge of leadership is to be strong, but not rude. To be kind, but not weak. To be bold, but not bully. To be thoughtful, but not lazy. To be humble, but not timid. To be proud, but not arrogant. To have humor, but not without folly. And I think that's really been challenging to me as I look back over 20 years of really 25 plus years now of managing people and, and being a leader. There's a lot of truth behind this statement. As I, I think our job as leaders is, is to be strong and to stand up for our people, to stand up for what we believe in, but not to do it in a demeaning or condescending way. We should be kind, but we shouldn't be weak either. We shouldn't be timid souls who don't have the ability to stand up and support people. We should be thoughtful. I think we absolutely need to be thoughtful in the way we think about leading people, the way we think about leading a project, pushing the organization to maybe move in a different direction that it's not willing to or hasn't moved in the past. 
And I said you know, many times as I've interviewed for roles and as I've talked to people, I think there's a great deal of humility that should come with leadership. Being a leader is a gift and it's an honor and it's a privilege to be able to stand in these roles and to lead people. And we shouldn't take that for granted. We shouldn't lord that over people. But at the same time, we should be proud to be given the gift of leadership to be able to do it. But we should make sure that we're not arrogant about it and that we don't lord that over people in a bad way and that we we have a sense of humor and we have some fun along the way. I, I'm a firm believer that if you can't go to work every day and have a fair amount of fun in what you do and make fun of yourself, you know, make fun of other people, but make fun of yourself and, and make sure that your staff know that they're cared for and that they're loved and that you really want them to grow and develop along with you. I think that we've missed out on a great opportunity to lead people in a, in a really effective way. And when you're, we talked about team leadership and everything else, when you're recruiting in particular, what are you looking out for? Is it, you know, I'm not sure about qualifications. We talked about different interpersonal characteristics and various bits. What's your ethos behind that? You know, maybe linking into that, is it the personality you just brought out? You know, we're a long time at work every day. What do you think? You know, I'm one of those people that's kind of, uh, I say to people many times when I interview them, I'm kind of split 50-50 between strong communication and interpersonal skills and people management skills, 50%. And the other 50% is, you know, technical knowledge, experience, your balance sheet, what you bring to the table and the things you know how to do. I think sometimes people get outweighted towards the technical and, you know, they're 90% technical and they're brilliant you know, people and, and they're brilliant when it comes to book knowledge and how to do things, but they can't talk their way out of a paper bag. And likewise, on the other side, if all you can do is talk and communicate and lead and be a good people management, but you have no technical skills or experience that you bring to the table, then you're really not of much value to me. So when I recruit people, and I hold myself to this kind of same standard, I think being weighted kind of 50-50 between the two is a really important place to be. And so that's kind of my first criteria. And I think my second criteria when I look for people is, are you willing to work hard? And that doesn't necessarily equate to more hours than everybody else, but are you willing to focus every day, be consistent when you come into work, to work hard, to do whatever is asked of you, and to do even more than what is asked of you consistently, not just once, not just for a project, but consistently over time? Are you willing to put in the work and the time and the hours to build your own balance sheet of things that you can do, but also to help and build and support those around you? I think those are two of the most important things that I look for. The last one I look for in terms of a large corporate environment or coming into my treasury team is just fit with the organization. Do you fit with the personalities and the styles of the team? Do you fit with the culture of the company that we work for and the people that we support above us? Are you a good fit culturally? You can hire somebody who has you know, good communication skills and good technical knowledge, just balance between the two and is willing to work hard. But if there's not a good personality and style fit with the organization, they're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. It's not going to be a, a good result for all of us. So that's kind of the last key thing for me is just a really good fit. And sometimes that is just a judgment call. That may not necessarily be objective. Um, I spend time in my interviews when I talk to people trying to get a sense for how they would fit in the organization because I just I feel that's just such a strong thing for organizations to think about. And when you're doing that, how are you assessing it? What are you comparing against? Is it just the knowledge of the other people internally? Or? 
I think that's one of the leader's responsibility is to know their people intimately and to know, you know, what makes them tick, uh, you know, to go through kind of that situational leadership schematic to know where they're at in their career, um, know how they make decisions, know what type of leadership that they need, how they need to be led, how they should be led, and, and understanding the right fit to lead against that or to, to join part of that team is just to know your people really well. I pride myself on that. Uh, you know, one of the things I try to do, and I'm not perfect at this, and I'm sure my staff will listen to this and laugh, but I really try and make an effort to talk to every one of my people at least once a week. I know that sounds maybe a little trite. Many of them I interact with, you know, multiple times a day. For those that I don't, I really try and interact with them uh, once a week so that when it comes time to think about adding somebody into that mix, that I know my team well and I know how to make sure that we get the right personality to fit that will gel well with the team or that we'll maybe bring a new skill or a new thought um, into the team to help the team grow and develop from there as well. And you're talking about development, you know, where are you seeing Treasury developing from here and what are you seeing as the the future for Treasury? You talked about there the sort of, you know, the, the new role of the Treasurer going forward, but where do you see it, you know, reflecting on some of the developments and things? Yeah, you know, I see, um, you, you can see it even today. And if you go to some of the annual conferences, the treasury conferences, um, you can see more and more automation and particularly in the payments space, I see more and more automation coming. I, I think that's a, re- a very good thing for treasury. As I talked about earlier, you employing some of the bots and the automated artificial intelligence into a treasury function, into a corporate finance function broadly, um, I think you're going to see more and more of that happening. Uh, and I think r- really the, the role of the Treasury team um, over time is going to become much less tactical and much more strategic. We spend a lot of time, even a block, we spend a lot of time forecasting cash flows. And systems can do some of that for us. Some of that takes knowledge of the business and understanding how it works. But much of that can be automated over time. And I think you're going to see, again, more and more of that automation down in the tactical part of the Treasury team to allow that team to focus on more strategic things. We spoke before the show, and I've got permission from Joel, that if you want to connect with him or you you know, want to find out about his background, have a look on LinkedIn. You'll find it Joel Campbell, uh, H&R Block. But as we come to the end of today's show and wrap up, they'll look through, they'll look, see your profile and go, actually, that's a career I want to sort of replicate. I want to make those moves, maybe do some international, do that. What advice would you even give maybe to your treasury team members, more junior guys, say, oh, I, you know, I'd like to follow you in your footsteps. What would you say to those guys? Yeah, sure. There's a few of them. You know, I think as you've, if you've listened to my discussion today, a couple things probably stand out. I've taken what I call a number of half steps. I've taken intentional calculated risks to get very specific types of experience to set myself up to move from manager to director, director to assistant treasurer, assistant treasurer to treasurer. So I think making intentional half steps across your career to push yourself, challenge yourself to learn more and to do more within it. Thanks, Joe. Treasury is not just cash management and banking. Treasury is a lot more things outside of that, as you've heard me talk about today, when it comes to risk management, insurance and risk management, understanding the business. So I think those half steps, half steps for me have been very intentional and helped me in my progress and development. And as I mentioned, I t- taking risks, I think, calculating and taking risks. I think, unfortunately, for many people who sit with the same company and sit in the same role and always wish they could do more, um, stepping outside of that comfort zone 
taking a treasury skills that you have built over time and looking to apply those in a new industry and in a new company, um, being willing, perhaps even like I have done to relocate and move to a different city to get that experience and knowledge that you're looking for. And then lastly, it's just doing whatever it takes. I think having an attitude as you approach work every day consistently over time to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And again, it doesn't always equate to more hours. Many people think that equates to more hours. Even when I talk about it with my staff, oh, you want me to work more hours? It's not more hours. It's working smart. It's working efficiently. It's making sure that you're pushing yourself to do more than the person sitting next to you to stand out and shine and then continue to push yourself to do that over the course of time. If you get consistent at doing that over time, you will be successful. You may not have all the career steps perhaps that I've taken. Maybe you'll have even far more than I have. But I think if you consistently do that over time, you're going to be successful. So I've been scribbling like mad whilst we just did that because I thought there were some great takeaways for you guys. So just a few other bits uh, just to summarize and finish off the show. As Joel says, and these are in Joel's words, not uh, Jim Rohn. These, these can be yours. To learn more, to do more, be open to the new areas and other parts of the business perhaps. As you say, be prepared to take that calculated risk, but calculated risk, your treasury guys, come on. You need your risk management <laughs> in there. And you took that with a relocation. But as you say, do you do whatever it takes to get the job done in a smarter way by pushing consistently? Good summary of you and your career. I think it's fantastic. So. Great. Well, thank you, Mike. And yeah, I think that is a great summary of my career. And um, who knows where my career will take me from here, but um, I've had a, you know, a modest degree of success to this point. I'm very thankful for where I'm at, where I'm grateful for opportunities that people have given me, mentors and others who have coached me along this path and helped me develop some of the philosophies I have today. There's much more to come, I think, for my career, but yeah. I'm very grateful to be where I'm at today. Well, thank you, Joel. And I think, you know, if you're listening today, this is a great lot of takeaways there to look back over Joel's career. And I think you'd be lucky to have a career as successful as Joel as well. So listen today and, and do what he's done. This is Mike Richards, the host of the Treasury Career Corner, brought to you by the Treasury Recruitment Company, the only global treasury recruitment company in the world. I'd love to hear from you with your thoughts on this episode or your suggestions for future topics or guests. Or maybe you'd like to be a guest on the show, then please let me know. I would love to welcome you to the show. Feel free to message me via LinkedIn or email me via mike at treasuryrecruitment.com with any suggestions on how we might improve the show. If you enjoyed the show, it would mean a heck of a lot if you were able to go over to iTunes or similar podcast apps and write a few words of recommendation. It means more than you might think in terms of the way the program gets promoted across all those channels. And it also helps spread the message that Treasury is an amazing career to choose. Many thanks. Thanks.